Hi listeners, my name is Kira Homie. And I'm Kira Jones. And you are listening to the Bay Guskin Podcast. One nation, one tribe. This podcast is produced on Treaty 8 territory, the traditional territories of the many First Nation, Métis, and Inuit. We would like to express our gratitude and respect for this land and all those who reside here both past and present. We are all Treaty people. One nation, one tribe. Indigenous Canadian veterans have played an integral role in the nation's military history, yet their contribution and sacrifices have often gone unrecognized and underappreciated. For centuries, Indigenous people across Canada have answered the call to defend their lands, allies, and the principles of freedom and justice. It's estimated that 7,000 First Nations people served in the First and Second World Wars and the Korean War and an unknown number of Métis, Inuit, and non-status Indigenous people also served. However, it wasn't until 1995, 50 years after the Second World War, that Indigenous peoples were allowed to lay Remembrance Day wreaths at the National War Memorial to remember and honor their dead comrades. Despite the sacrifices and bravery Indigenous veterans exemplified, they often returned home to face continued systemic inequality and the ongoing struggle to have their right and contributions recognized. Their resilience, courage, and commitment to the ideals of honor and duty serve as a powerful reminder of the unbreakable spirit of Indigenous people throughout Canada's history. In today's episode, we're sharing a conversation we have with Renee Charbonneau about the Veterans Memorial Garden, as well as a couple of stories highlighting the lives of the many inspiring Indigenous Canadian veterans. Can you tell us your name and a little bit about what you were just describing to us here at Growing the North Conference? My name is Renee Charbonneau. I'm the Executive Director for the Canadian Motorcycle Tourism Association and Project Lead for Veterans Memorial Gardens and Interpretive Centre here in Grand Prairie. This is a place where we are telling the stories of Northwest Alberta's killed-in-action soldiers, veterans, and Silver Cross families. And our gardens have nine delineated story paths. So we have our residential school garden, which tells all about the residential schools of the region and helps people understand how that actually fed the military. We have our indigenous garden, which is where we will tell the stories of what we know right now as 14 regional killed in action soldiers that were indigenous. And we have 15 Métis killed in action soldiers that we've identified their ethnicity through uh, research and a genealogy grant. And so in this place, we tell all of these stories that we have the O Canada walkway where we talk about the First World War internment camps and how the Canadian government interred people from the Ukraine whose only crime was being born in the Ukraine. They had actually come to Canada to become farmers. Then we move on to tell the stories of World War II, the Japanese internment camps. We tell of the conscription crisis in both World War I and World War II. We have the Loyal Edmonton Regiment Garden and our Soldiers of Suicide Garden that we're building. We have Women of War, Animals of War, and all of the local associations. This is a place where children can come to our gardens. They can participate in field trips with their teachers. They can even come as groups with homeschool moms and we'll help them and walk them through the education kits, take them through all of the different storyboards, let them learn. It's a very interactive place and hence why it's an interpretive center. 
a lot of people don't know the history because we're learning the truth, which is so important and part of reconciling the past. But a lot of people don't know the history of how Indigenous soldiers were treated. And you had just mentioned a story about somebody who didn't want to come home to Canada. Can you share a little bit about that experience and how you've had those conversations? I was working with Len Morissette from CIA Solutions on a, a grant application to start capturing stories wherever we could. And we came across a lady named Karen Powlett who wrote a book called Granny's Twelve Grand. It was a cousin's book meant for family. Came across her story, reached out to her. She agreed to be interviewed. And she told the story of her nephew, Thomas Patra, in one. And then the other one was Joseph Flavian St. Germain. Now, Joseph was from Peace River, and he was a Lance Sergeant with the Loyal Edmonton Regiment. So how we know his story so well is his commanding officer was James Riley Stone from Blueberry Mountain. We sat down at the Peace River Museum, and Carolyn proceeded to tell Joseph's story to us. Joseph is famous for a simple quote that he made when talking to his Lieutenant Colonel, James Riley Stone, his commanding officer, who had just paid him a compliment on how wonderful of a job he was doing with his men. And Joseph is reported to have said, thank you, sir. I love my job. Here, I'm known as the saint. I run a platoon. My guys love me. I love them. We work hard together. And he says, I hope I die here, because if I go back home to Canada, I'll be treated as just another poor goddamned Indian. And that was what he was famous for saying. And it was the truth, because so many Indigenous soldiers, number one, and I'm going to qualify this because the First World War was very defining for Indigenous soldiers. They signed up. They weren't really wanted by the government. The government didn't want them fighting because they were terrified of their skills, number one. Number two, they weren't considered people by the Canadian government back in 1912, 1914. So what would happen is they'd sign up, they'd go to, to war, and under the Indian Act of the day, if they were gone for longer than four years, or they bettered themselves, they were booted off reserve. So what happened was the Indian agent would take over their land, and in, in many cases, World War I veterans that came home to be disenfranchised, be booted off reserve. Uh, the Saw Ridge Band is one of those bands that experienced great hardship because of the war. So when you look back in 1912, 1914, that was a very decisive time because then when the Second World War came, Indigenous veterans told the children that were wanting to sign up, the 19-year-olds, the 20-year-olds, change your last name. Don't tell them your real name. And so what happened, it is. So the interesting thing that happened was just in, in um, Sturgeon Lake Cree Nation, I uncovered five soldiers. I know their family because their genealogy records show they have the same mother and father, but they all have five, there's five different last names. They were protecting themselves and their family from disenfranchisement. And so, yeah, that's, that's the truth of what happened with our Indigenous soldiers in many cases. And in a lot of cases, it, they were 
sergeant, they, they were soldiers at arms, brothers at arms with the men in the trenches, but the higher ups were terrified of them. There's a, an actual folder I have on an organization that tried to stand up what they call the half-breed battalion in the Second World War. And they identified people as half-breed based on how much degree of indigenous they were, right? So they were 25%, 75%, and they actually had that all in the folders. And there's a whole list of Northwest Alberta soldiers that were considered for that battalion because of their rough skills, their ability to be one with nature, their ability to mimic am animal sounds and, and be at one and blend into the background. And the soldiers that worked with them valued those skills. The higher-ups, the ones that, that were in Ottawa, not the guys at the front line, not the soldiers in the field, the guys in Ottawa were terrified at the thought of that kind of battalion being stood up because of the skill they had. It was mad skills in those days. And, you know, it meant a lot that they even were being considered to have their very own battalion. That's how highly thought of their skills were in spite of a government that kept trying to oppress them. The guys in the trenches recognized how good these guys were. Do you find that there's any kind of a shift happening around knowledge of what was happening and is still happening to veterans and Indigenous people as a whole? I think so. I think there's a very large shift starting to happen because, you see, the colonial government, and let me be clear, colonialism only serves the king, the queen, and those at the top. The rest of us are just pawns in a chess game. And so I personally think that they can't hide the stories anymore. The internet gave us all the ability to find information. I am the daughter of two veterans born on the armed forces base in Fort Churchill, Manitoba. And I didn't know 90% of the stuff I've learned since I started this project. So what are they teaching in our schools? Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please make sure to leave a like and a review. Every little bit helps. This way you won't miss out on any of our upcoming content where we tackle diverse topics as one nation, one tribe.